a listener production. Hi, everyone. Hope you're all well. It's Jacob here. Before we get into this week's story, I'm just jumping in to let you know that Rosie's taking a little break for a few weeks. She's been a bit unwell for a little while and she's taking the time that she needs to get better. And to give her the chance to take care of her mental health, that does mean we've had to reschedule some of our live shows. They've all been shifted out to late August, early September. They will happen. We just needed to um, give Rosie a little bit of time off to take care of herself, which I'm sure you can all totally appreciate. And hopefully all of you who have tickets to the shows in Perth and Gosford and Sydney and the Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast will still be able to come along on the new dates. We're certainly very keen to see you all there and for you to see the dance number. And I also just need to let you know that while Rosie's away, things will be a little different, but we're still going to be bringing you new episodes each week, which is great news. So I'll be inviting some special guest hosts to come on board each week and I'll be serving them the gist of a story that we believe is absolutely worthy of a dinner party discussion. So this week we're kicking things off with Mr. Sean Zepps as our very first special guest and I'm serving him the incredible survival story of Juliana Kerpke, the teenage girl who fell out of an airplane, landed in the Amazon jungle and somehow managed to make her way back home safely. Hope you enjoy it. Here it is. So, Sean Zepps, welcome to Just the Gist. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. Well, we are chuffed to have you as our first ever guest host coming on board and helping out while Rosie takes a little break. It feels very correct for me because your show was the first podcast that I ever did a guest appearance on. So, it just feels like it's perfectly in balance you to be our first ever guest host. The stars align. I'm pumped. Yeah. So we should probably start off by maybe you taking the chance to explain how we met um, Mm. and telling the listeners a little bit about your own podcast. Perfect. So I'm the host of another listener show, Come Out Wherever You Are, Mm -hmm. where I interview members of the queer community, literally every single letter, LGBTQI+, and beyond about their experience of coming out. Mm -hmm. I originally set out to make the show because I felt that queer people, especially in media, actually weren't being asked the questions. Like Mm -hmm. I had worked in media for years and no one had ever been interested in that part of my life. It's almost like you come out of the closet and then that's it. Mm -hmm. And yet I knew that not to be true. I knew that you had to come out a lot to Mm -hmm. many people. And in many ways you continue to come out constantly, accidentally in an Uber or at Big W, like random moments in your life. And I thought, there is a show there. Mm-hmm. And so when we were doing our first season's list, I had just listened to maybe like six episodes of your show. Mm-hmm. And so we reached out, got you on, and that's how we met. Yeah. <laughs> and it was such a great experience. I mean, A, you made me feel very, very comfortable. Oh, good. And B, you gave me the opportunity to unpack something that I had not thought about for well over a decade. Um, and I didn't really think that much of the impact that it was going to have for the people I actually know. Oh, yeah. But then so many of them listened and got to hear my perspective on things that they'd known me through Mm. um, for the very first time, and, I mean, I've shared some of that with you, some of the feedback I got from people, um, just to sort of give you a taste of um, the positive impact that had just on the people in my life. So, yeah, so that's a little bit about Come Out Wherever mm. You Are, your podcast. Yep. Can you give us a quick little 
gist of who Sean Zepps is and your background. Yes. So as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm Canadian. I'm just kidding. I'm American. I like to pretend I'm Canadian because <laughs> people hate America. It's a smart move. Yeah. You know, and, uh, so yeah, I came here because I married an Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, we have two children together, boy-girl twins named Stella and Cooper. I make a living as a content creator, media personality, specifically in the parenting space. Um, my husband's a radio presenter. And yeah, we live here in Sydney like doing the parenting thing. Mm-hmm. Most of my days are filled making ridiculous comedy videos for the internet. Mm-hmm. So that's my little Instagram job. And I host the podcast that we've already talked about. And I'm currently, dun, 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 writing a book. Ah, mm. can you tell us what it's called, what it's about? I can't tell you what it's called, but I can tell you broadly that it's about me. Uh-huh. Then that's all I can say. <laughs> Stay tuned. And when's it being released? Not till next year. Okay. Yeah, right. so we got some time. Okay. Mm. Have you finished it? No. Okay. <laughs> Don't remind me. All the best with that. Um, now, you listen to the show. Yep. So you're aware of what we do here on Just the Gist. We give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. Mm. And I've got a doozy to tell you I can't this wait. time, my friend. So this is the story of a 17-year-old German girl who was sucked out of an airplane mid-flight fell 3.2 kilometers down to earth, landed in the middle of the Amazon jungle, alive, barely even injured, and she just dusted herself off and she spent the next 11 days trekking through the jungle alone, making her way back home. By popular demand, because this is far and away the most requested topic we've ever had, I am finally serving just the gist of Juliana Kerpke's unimaginable survival story. I just don't believe you. <laughs> it sounded fake from start to finish. Like, this isn't real. This didn't happen to a human. She doesn't exist. Fake uh-huh. news. Yeah. Oh, this is really exciting. I will explain how, but Please. yeah, it just seems impossible that yep. this could have happened. So let's go ahead and jump in. All of this happened 50 years ago. Um, as I mentioned, the survivor, Juliana Kerpka, she was 17 years old at the time, and the plane she was on took off from Lima, the capital of Peru, on Christmas Eve in 1971. Okay. And it was a fairly small plane, 86 passengers, six crew, and it was meant to just be like a one-hour domestic flight, kind of mm. like going from Sydney to Melbourne. Yeah. Because it was the holidays, the vibe on board was pretty festive when they took off. Everyone was really excited to be on their way to go and see their loved ones and bake some ham and give some gifts, whatever, (laughs) including Juliana and her mother, Maria, who were going to meet up with Juliana's dad for Christmas at a remote research station out in the jungle somewhere. Juliana had just graduated from high school and the night before... She'd been to her prom, so she was still sort of buzzing and on a high, as was her very proud mum. Then, about halfway into the flight, the vibe on board shifted dramatically when the plane flew directly into a tropical thunderstorm. And it sort of got ominously dark inside the cabin and everyone went quiet and the ride started to get rougher and bumpier as the minutes passed. Juliana was sitting in the window seat with her mother next to her, holding her hand, and when she looked out the window, she said the clouds looked like a seething, bubbling cauldron. But Juliana wasn't too worried, though. She'd been on plenty of bumpy flights and everything had always ended up being fine, so she assumed that would be the case this time. They never crash. Basically never. 
<laughs> with this particular yeah, airline, know. it happened with alarming regularity. Oh, no. But she just tried to ignore that and focus on keeping her mum calm because okay. Maria was a nervous flyer at the best of times. Are you a nervous flyer? I am not, but I'm nervous about the story. I couldn't tell if it was the words you were using to describe it. The ominous clouds <laughs> drifting past the window. I was like, this is not good. And the fact that the plane is small, I'm also mm. not on board with. Every time any story starts about a bad thing, it's like a small passenger plane with only one crew <laughs> who couldn't fly. <laughs> Often doesn't end that no. well. Anyway, the passengers were all sort of doing that thing where they're trying to act cool and they glance at each other and do a fake smile and a fake giggle while they were sort of waiting for the turbulence to end. Mm. But instead of the turbulence ending, things got significantly worse as the plane just went deeper and deeper into the storm and it started to experience these really violent plunges and rises and the overhead compartments started bursting open and everyone's carry-on luggage started bouncing all around the cabin. And because it was Christmas Eve, a lot of the stuff they'd brought on board with them was like, wrapped gifts and Christmas puddings and bunches of flowers. So it was kind of like they were suddenly in this grim Christmas-themed snow dome with everything flying around, hitting people in the head. Oh, God. Everyone by this point was screaming hysterically. And Juliana remembers very clearly seeing lightning bolts just outside the window, very, very close to the plane. The guy who was flying the plane, and I refuse to call him a pilot, should have turned the plane around the minute he saw that storm. But because everyone on board, including him, was so desperate to get home for Christmas, he decided to just try to power through it and hope for the best. Yes. Mm. That was a catastrophically stupid choice to make because, of course, a bolt of lightning hit the right wing of the plane, the engine exploded, and the plane was split open and started to nosedive vertically gaining speed as it went. And the plane basically started disintegrating as it was falling. And the row of seats that Juliana and her mum were sitting on was sucked out of the plane all in one piece. Juliana was the only one who stayed with the seat because she was the only one who had her seatbelt on. What is going on here? (laughs) This is so good. Has this been turned into a movie? It actually has a okay, couple of movies. this is insane. Mm-hmm. Of course she's, what is it? Not, I was going to say, what is it, 1950? But actually it was. <laughs> yes. It was the 70s. So, of course, people didn't Smoking cigarettes, don't have their seatbelts on. What's the yeah, point? Right? I'm not going to get hit by another plane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I need to add in here, this is important. One time I was on a plane freaking out because there was a lot of turbulence. And this sassy gay flight attendant comes right up to me and says, I'm going to teach you a little lesson, my friend. Mm-hmm. If I'm afraid, you should be afraid. If I'm not, there's no reason to be afraid. Mm. The flight attendant has dealt with a lot of scary situations in their time as a career. And so when it's a little bumpy and people get nervous, sometimes they'll just come up to you and be like, would you like another water, sir? Even Mm. though like the plane's flying everywhere. In that instance, I imagine there must have been a moment where the six staff member, like where you look at them and when they're freaking out, you know, this isn't good. Absolutely. We're going down. Yep. I've experienced that, by no, the way. No, you have not. Yes. So this was just a flight from Canberra to Sydney, probably a similar yeah. size plane to this one. And coming into land in Canberra, it was so windy, it took four attempts to get the plane on the ground. The no. first three, the pilot would get close and then would be blown completely off course. And it was super, super rough and bumpy. And people were literally screaming out to the pilot, turn around, go back to Sydney. Oh because they just couldn't handle the terror and it really did feel like there was a high possibility that the plane could crash. Of course. And, yeah, the flight staff there, you could see 
the terror in their own faces because that's what's tricky for them. They've got to sit facing yeah. the audience, exactly. as it were, and it was difficult for them to try to maintain their own composure. And I feel like situation. most people have had to do like maybe one reattempt, but by the time you're getting to three or four, you're nervous. Like, is it is this a smart decision yeah. at all? Yeah, it's a totally normal is this human the right feeling. For this job, yeah, because I think anyone who flies would be foolish to not admit that there's a little bit of fear, even though you know. In your rational brain, you are much more likely to, to mm-hmm. die in a car or walking or even swimming with dolphins than you are in a plane. It's also not normal for humans to fly. It yeah. just isn't. And mm-hmm. sometimes you're in the air and you feel that way. So if it's if that's happening, you're like, this is not good. Mm-hmm. Fight or flight is kicking in. Yep. And you can't go anywhere yeah. <laughs> unless you're her and yeah. you get swept out of the damn plane. <gasps> yeah. And there she was, 3.2 kilometers up in the air, all of a sudden it was completely silent. The first thought she had was that her mother was just gone and it felt to her not like she'd left the plane but like the plane had left her and just in this split-second instant. I mean, that is what happened, right? She gets sucked out, wow. She was upside down and she was spinning in circles and she looked down towards the ground, which was getting closer by the second, and the one thing she can remember thinking in that moment as she was staring at where she was headed was that the canopy of the forest from so high up looked like the head of broccoli. And then mercifully, she blacked out. She has no recollection of the impact when she hit the ground. She just remembers waking up in the jungle the next morning, Christmas Day, alone, wearing nothing but a cute little summer frock and one of her strappy little sandals, with some minor injuries and a terrible headache. I'm really happy she survived because if the last thought she had was broccoli, (laughs) I don't know if I'm okay with that. Like, as you're telling the story, I mean, it's all so dramatic, but the fact that she can remember the broccoli heads is like the best, worst thing to think. Yeah, such a mundane little detail that she included in all the stories she told. I love it. So now this would be a good time to do one of those record scratch. You're probably wondering how I got here yeah. moments because you probably all got some questions. Why was a German girl going to high school in Peru and why was her family spending Christmas at a remote research station good in question. the jungle? So let's step back and get a little bit of context. Juliana was born in Peru and that was home for most of her life, but she was a German citizen. Her parents were both very well-respected German zoologists who'd moved to Peru to study animals in the Amazon in the 50s, and they just never left. So Juliana grew up going on research expeditions with mum and dad and learning about all the different plants and animals and bugs and fungi Mm. in the jungle. She'd been homeschooled for most of her life, but then she had to move to Lima to do the final two years of high school to get a proper recognised diploma. She went ahead and did that out of necessity, but she was very, very keen to get back home to the research station her parents had founded in the 60s called Panguana because she just loved being in the jungle. It was her natural habitat and where she felt most comfortable. Her mum, Maria, had come to Lima to see Juliana graduate and go to her prom while the dad, Hans, stayed home at Panguana. And the girls were very keen to get back to Hans so he didn't have to spend Christmas alone. So that's why they'd made a choice that they ordinarily would not have made. They booked a flight with a notoriously shitty airline called Lancer. Lancer had a terrible track record. Their planes, like I said, fell out of the sky way too regularly wow. for an operating Is there a reason I haven't heard airline. of them? <laughs> 
Yes, they no longer exist. Yeah, okay, that's good news. Um, Juliana and Maria at that time decided to just take the gamble because that Lancer flight was the only option that was going to get them home in Mm. time for Christmas. And there were a lot of other people who were willing to take the gamble as well. That Lancer flight was at over 100% capacity. There were dozens of people who were on the wait list to get a seat on that flight because Lancer's only other flight to the same destination that day had to be cancelled because that plane had unsurprisingly broken down. So a bunch of people were pleading to be moved onto Juliana's flight and even trying to bribe some of the ticket holders to sell their ticket of to course. them. Yeah. That's what makes this so dramatic is everyone listening knows the stress of traveling mm-hmm. the day before or the day of Christmas and the emotions that come up, the heart. Like everyone on that plane has somewhere they have to get to and it's not just a mundane trip for them. It's mm-hmm. the first time they're seeing their family in a long time, the first time they're seeing their partner, the person that lives long distance. So that energy of I must get on all of those people on the plane were probably mm-hmm. in some similar situation. Yeah, totally. And all willing to overlook the risk of flying yeah. with Lancer as long as it meant they could get home for the holidays. As we now know, the odds were not in their favour mm. when they took that risk. And Juliana woke up deep in the middle of the jungle. But how did she survive that 3,200 metre fall? According to the experts who really wanted to be able to answer that question, she landed relatively gently because of three factors that combined in a display of unfathomable luck. Firstly, the bench of seats she was strapped to, thanks to her seatbelt smarts, had spun like a propeller blade as she fell. So she hovered a little bit or something? That kind of slowed her down a bit. I imagine your kids might have them and you might have even had them when you were a kid, those air dancer toys that you pull the string and they sort of gracefully fall to earth as their wings spiral out around them and they spin down. So that kind of factor. Yep. Um, secondly, the air she was falling through was being churned up quite a bit by the storm and there were all these updrafts that also created a bit more resistance as she was falling down, so that slowed her a little bit. An unexpected benefit uh-huh. of a terrible storm. It's the reason that she was falling to begin with, yeah, but exactly. it's the reason hey, she fell more her. slowly. Wow. And then thirdly, the canopy in the patch of forest where she landed was particularly dense with vines, so it was almost like she landed in yep. a net. That's our best guess as to how I mean, she ended up good. on the ground without too many injuries. And she wore her seatbelt. So ladies and gentlemen and babies, wear your damn seatbelt. There's a lesson, a takeaway for you all. Um, so that's how she survived the fall. We'll now see how she survived the jungle. Yeah, that's crazy. There she was, all alone on Christmas morning, unless you count all the things in the Amazon that would love nothing more than to kill you, like the anacondas and venomous snakes mm, and... Mm poisonous frogs. Mm -hmm. She tried to evaluate her injuries when she woke up. She could feel her collarbone where it had snapped and the two pieces were sort of overlapping. That wasn't going to be a major problem for her. Apart from that, she had some nasty lacerations on her limbs, but none of them hurt yet. All the adrenaline in her system was sort of buffering her from the pain for now. The worst symptom she was experiencing was a really severe concussion. She was super dizzy, so all movement felt just about impossible. Plus, her eyes were swollen almost completely shut, so she really couldn't see anything. Imagine having, like, the worst hangover of your life, but times Mm. 200. I mean, I'm a little happy because when you 
pitched the initial story, my thought was she was literally just walks away with not a single laceration. But this is like a normal fall from the sky. A bunch of things went wrong. Mm-hmm. But very minor. I mean, in comparison to what should have happened, mm-hmm. the fact that she can't see is, you know, minor, minor. Correct. Um, she knew, though, that until the concussion eased, her only option was just stay where she was and wait for someone to come and find her. She tried to shelter from the rain by using the bench of seats as like a tent and she lay down and slept for at least the next 24 hours just covered in mud and soaking wet because it was pouring down rain. Worst Christmas ever. I mean, literally. Then she woke up on Boxing Day. She was a little bit more lucid by then and she started to get worried that no one was going to be able to find her because she could hear the rescue planes and helicopters flying overhead, but because the canopy was so dense, she knew there was no way they'd be able to see her and she had no way of signalling to them. Mm. The rescuers, meanwhile, sure enough, were finding it impossible to find any trace of the plane wreckage because it had been scattered all over the forest and then just swallowed up by the canopy. So they didn't find anything for days and days. So she was correct. They were not going to find her. If she was going to get back to civilization, she'd have to make her own way there. So she got on the move. Wow. Um, for Juliana, it wasn't super easy for her, determined as she was, to get on the move. It took her hours just to get up on all fours and the concussion like, mm. made standing feel pretty much impossible. But she kept pushing and pushing, made gradual process and she was up and standing by the end of Boxing Day. And then she spent the next two days scouting the area around her, hoping she'd find some other survivors, specifically her mum, who she was desperately Uh. hoping was still alive. She was moving painfully slowly, partly because she had ruptured a ligament in her leg and she didn't know it yet, but she'd broken one of her shin bones. In addition to that, she could barely see more than a metre in front of herself not just because of the fact her eyes were so swollen, but also because she's very, very short-sighted and obviously she lost her glasses in the fall. So she was having to swipe the ground in front of her with a stick to make sure she didn't step on anything nasty like a well-camouflaged snake. She wasn't having any luck finding anyone or anything as she went, Uh, but then after a couple of days of scouting, she heard vultures off in the distance and grimly she knew what that probably meant. Mm -hmm. The vultures were feeding on the corpses of the crash victims. So she walked towards the vulture noises and when she got near them, the birds scattered and it took Juliana a few minutes to figure out what she was looking at because it was a pretty confusing scene. It was three dead bodies all still strapped into their bench of airline seats, but with their heads and torsos buried in about a metre of earth. So it was just their legs that were sticking out of the ground. Then crash landed head first with so much force that it had planted them a metre into the soil. And it was a horrific sight, but Juliana couldn't help but feel just a twinge of relief that none of the bodies belonged to her mother. She was really clinging on to that desperate belief that her mother could be out there somewhere in the jungle looking for her and that's what motivated her throughout this entire journey. I mean, you need something to hold you on, but wouldn't you be like, no, there's just no way. The the fact that she survived it all is like a one in quadrillion miracle. Mm -hmm. 
but I hey, she wasn't whatever, ready to come to terms. Yeah, with whatever that, gives you like that drive to keep pushing. That's a pretty damn good drive. Is I'm going to find my mom. Mm-hmm. So she looked through some of the luggage and debris near the bodies. The only useful thing she found there, though, was a bag of lollies, which would end up being her only food source for the next week. She stood still for a while, contemplating what her next move was going to be. And that's when she then heard another sound that she knew could potentially save her life. It was the sound of running water. And she hobbled over towards it and came to a little spring. She had herself a drink and then started to follow the water, which led to a little stream, which then led her to a creek. She knew if she followed the water, eventually it was likely to lead her back to civilization. Very smart. Mm-hmm. I also feel like, thank goodness, in the beginning you said she was a huge fan of the Amazon because of her upbringing. The average person would not know to follow a body of water to a source. Mm-hmm. That's very clever. Another thing to file away in your yeah. brain's justness. Seatbelts and follow water sources. She had personal experience with this that had taught her this lesson because there was a time when she was growing up that her parents helped rescue an American man who'd washed up on the shore at their research station and he'd wound up lost in the jungle and found his way to them by following a creek until he came to a river and following the water until he found people. So that was her strategy. She waded along in the water following the creek for the next few days. It's safer to walk in the water than it is on land, but it's certainly not without its own unique set of hazards like electric eels and piranhas. The most important thing she had to remember to do was make sure she shuffled her feet along the bottom of the creek rather than stepping because the animal that causes the most injuries to humans every year in the Amazon is this type of freshwater stingray that's got a poisonous barb that will stab any bitch that treads on it. And she knew this. And she knew this. So she had to just shuffle, shuffle, shuffle rather than stepping. After a few days of shuffling along in the creek and then sleeping in the forest at night, she made it to a larger river, which was a blessing because by this point she was so exhausted she could barely stand up and now the water was deep enough that she could just lie down and float and let the current take her along. Wow. As she was floating along, every now and then she'd sense movement on the banks of the river and she'd glance over to see groups of caiman crocodiles sliding into the water when they saw her, which surely would freak anyone out. But she knew they weren't coming to eat her. They were more scared of her than she Mm. was of them. And when they saw her, their hiding place to go was in the water. Uh, She even remembers feeling them sometimes swim directly underneath her, but she knew if she just stayed completely still... They wouldn't bother her. Listen, this is too much. Coming here was a mistake. (laughs) The drama, the nightmares, this is every detail. She's already had it hard enough. Can't the water just be with goldfish? Come on. This is too much, people. (laughs) It is a lot. But also, I'm like very impressed with her. I was pissed at her dad in the beginning for making her have to travel back and forth and live in the woods and be the only child who's homeschooled. And now I'm thinking she wouldn't have survived if it wasn't for all that damn knowledge. Uh Uh-huh. Papa Kepka saved her life Mm. by giving her that upbringing. So she would just stay still while there are literally crocodiles swimming all around her and let the current carry her around the next bend in the river. That river cruise went on for about two days and one afternoon she crawled up onto the bank of the river to give herself a rest in the shade. She looked around for hazards, saw she was in a safe spot and then just lay down and passed out. Mm. 
A few hours later, she woke up, looked around, and across the river, she saw something that she hadn't clocked before she'd fallen asleep. There was an empty boat moored on the opposite bank. And she thought, okay, I've reached the stage where I'm hallucinating. That must be a mirage. I've died. But she swam over to it, reached out, and when she touched it and realized it was really truly there, the exhilaration released like a little burst of adrenaline that gave her enough energy to crawl up onto the shore. And there she found a path that led her to a little hut. And she crawled inside. There were no people around. And sadly, there was no food in the hut. But she did find one thing she knew she needed, a tank of petrol. Oh. So one of the gashes on her arm was crawling with maggots by this stage. And Juliana remembered one time when her dog had a fly-blown wound and her dad had shown her how to pour gasoline on the wound to kill the maggots. So she sucked mouthfuls of petrol out of that little tank, spat it on the wound to try to kill the maggots. Can you imagine? No, 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 I cannot. Some of the little buggers just tried to burrow deeper into the gash and she had to dig them out with a stick. She kept going and going, got about 30 of them out before she just had to give herself a break. And then as the sun set, Still no one had come along to the hut and she started to think about taking the boat, but she was worried that she was going to get in trouble. Of course, she's a friendly reminder, 17. Yeah. <laughs> the life experience is, well, clearly more than me at the time, but minimal. And she's still that empathetic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have stolen it right away. And she was thinking that she might be leaving someone else stranded oh. if she took it. So she figured she'd just sleep in the hut overnight and hope someone would show up mm. the next day. Thankfully, the next morning, someone did. Juliana woke up to the sound of men's voices getting closer and the door of the hut was open just as she was starting to get herself up. And she was so delirious, she thought, okay, I must be dead and these must be angels. The three men that were looking at her were so confused, their first thought was that she must be one of the water spirits from their local folklore. Wow! So they just sort of all froze in shock. And then Juliana came to her senses and spoke to them in Spanish. And then everyone relaxed and she was able to explain how she'd got there. They got busy trying to patch her up as best they could and giving her whatever food they had. One of them got the last few dozen maggots out of her arm while another of them told her again and again how lucky she was that they even came along because they only visited that hut once every few months. Oh, wow. I could not find anywhere why they go to visit that hut once every few months. There was no official explanation given. Wow. I think we can probably safely assume that it has something to do with the movement of certain powders across borders. Mm. Or maybe it's a Brokeback style situation and this is their little boys trip that they have from time to time. both of those stories are stories I would like to watch in the full movie. (laughs) I'm ready for it. (laughs) I also would love to know what she said to them. This has just happened to you. Every single detail. This is the worst days, weeks of your life. And you finally see someone. And like, what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Mm -hmm. I fell from a plane. Mm -hmm. They luckily had heard about the plane crash. Of course they had. I'm Mm -hmm. sure people were looking for survivors. Yes. Um, So they were more than willing to help this girl out. They took her back to civilization as quick as they could. But that meant firstly an 11-hour boat trip to get her to the nearest village and then 
to get to a city with a proper hospital, she'd have to get on a plane. No, she'll never get on a plane. I won't even let her get on a plane. Afraid so. No. 11 <laughs> Please days. Please tell me it wasn't the same. After she'd fallen out of the sky. Not the same airline, oh, thank thankfully. Goodness. But she had to get on an even smaller plane and fly off so that she could get the treatment she needed. And yes, she was nervous, but she didn't put up a whole lot of resistance. She's a champion. Meanwhile, this became a huge news story, made headlines all around the world because it was such an unbelievable twist. Everyone who was on that flight was assumed to be dead and then suddenly one of the youngest passengers comes stumbling out of the forest. This is where my favourite wrinkle in this story comes into play. It gets better? Uh Uh-huh. There was a famous German film director called Werner Herzog. You might have heard of him. He made a movie called Grizzly Man. It's probably one of his biggest ones. Doesn't matter. Anyway, he was already fixated on the plane crash story because he was almost on Juliana's flight himself. He was in Peru shooting a movie out in the jungle and he'd gone to Lima to scout locations for a few days and he was heading back to the jungle location and he was on that Christmas Eve Lancer flight that had been cancelled because the plane had broken down. Mm. So he'd bribed the airline staff to move him onto Juliana's flight because he desperately needed to get back to his film crew and keep working. But even though the airline staff accepted his money and promised him a seat, when the time came to board, he wasn't allowed on the flight. And in that moment on Christmas Eve, he was absolutely livid that he'd been ripped off. But then when he found out about the crash, he was just overcome with gratitude that he'd been lucky enough to be spared such a terrible fate. And then when he learned that not only had there been a survivor, but that she had been in the jungle for days, just a few kilometres away from where he was filming. He just became completely obsessed with the story and was determined one day he was going to make a documentary about this incredible girl who survived yeah. the jungle. So Juliana spent a few months in hospital, obviously, recovering and also grieving because a oh. few days after Juliana was rescued, her mother's body was found Her father was told that Maria had survived the crash, but she died a few days later of her injuries and that it had been pretty slow and pretty painful. He kept that knowledge from Juliana, though. He just kept the secret to himself for the rest of his life. And essentially that knowledge sort of broke him inside. Mm. And so when Juliana was discharged, he sent her off to live with relatives in Germany because he was just struggling so much handling the grief. So that was really tough for Juliana because it felt like she'd lost both her parents in one fell swoop. She still wanted to follow in their footsteps, though she always had. So she enrolled in uni to study biology, just like they did. Amazing. And for the next few years, she was very happy to do interviews in the media whenever she was asked. But then in 1974, she decided to completely shun the media after a terrible movie was released called Miracles Still Happen. It claimed to be the true story of Juliana Kupke, but it portrayed her as this buxom young woman who was just totally overwhelmed and hapless in the jungle and she just sort of stumbled her way and made it back to civilization through dumb luck as opposed to the truth, which is that she's (laughs) highly capable, very intelligent, and she used her extensive knowledge of the forest to save Mm. her own damn life. Um, That movie was the last straw for Juliana. There'd already been a bunch of exaggerated and outright false stuff written and said about her in the media. So she just went, I'm done, I'm out, no more. 
went radio silent and just focused on her PhD. And Van Herzog, every now and then, would be like, please, please, I really want to tell your story. But she just kept saying, no, 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 anytime he approached her. Now, I mentioned that Lanza was shut down. Yeah. This was one of the first things that I researched when I heard about this story. I was like, what were what the consequences yeah. for this airline? So that flight was their final disaster in a long chain of disasters they'd experienced. And so obviously there was no way the airline was going to survive this one. This was their second major crash that year. Mm. So no one of Sound Mind was going to buy a ticket to fly with them. And then it was made public the reason why Lancer flights crashed so regularly. First and foremost, the planes they were flying were rubbish. The make and model was called the L188 Electra, which, by the way, it's like a newer model of the plane Amelia Earhart flew and tried to fly around the world. Yep, and we all know how that ended. Well, no, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) She's still flying. We did an episode on her. I know. (laughs) Okay. It's one of my favourite ones we've ever done. Um, Yeah, not a happy ending for her. Mm -mm. Um, Not a lot of the L-188s were made because pretty much immediately after they started taking to the air, they started crashing. So they were discontinued, but the ones that had already been sold were not recalled. And Lancer went out and bought as many of them as they could because they could get them for a nice cheap price. And they were employing motorcycle mechanics to maintain the planes. And these were people who had no qualification and no experience working on aircraft. Plus, the pilots didn't have proper piloting qualifications. So everyone involved at the high levels of that company should have gone to jail. Wow. But The families of the deceased must just be livid. You would certainly feel some animosity towards those people for the choices they'd made. Especially because, I mean, I know we're talking about a different era, but planes can sustain in, like, they, I know that they can sustain lightning bolts. So there's this feeling that if you're putting your life in the hands of this company, that at least the foundation of what you're flying in Mm. is sturdy as all hell. Because that does happen. It happens all the time. There are beautiful pictures of it happening and people just keep flying. They had no idea it occurred. Mm Mm-hmm. Not on that garbage rink-dink motorcycle. (laughs) Not on what Lancer was flying, no. Anyway, fast forward a little bit. Juliana got her PhD in biology Mm. and she went back to Panguana to study bats there. She split her time between Peru and Germany over the next couple of decades and just kept herself out of the spotlight until in 1998 Finally, Werner Herzog managed to convince her to make this movie he'd been wanting to make for 27 years, sharing the real, real story of her survival. It's a documentary called Wings of Hope, and it's available on YouTube, and it's incredible. They retrace all of Juliana's steps. With her? Yes. Amazing. They take her to the airport in Lima, then they take her to the crash site where the bulk of the plane wreckage landed, and it's all still there because they haven't gone to the effort of Mm. taking it to a dump anywhere. You can see her picking up pieces of the wreck and explaining what they're finding, and it's mundane sort of stuff like food trays and escape hatches, as well as people's personal items like the heel of a woman's shoe and an old hair curler and someone's wallet was still there. Um, Then they take her to the spot where she landed and from there they retrace her steps through the stream, to the creek, to the river, to the hut where she was found. And the whole time she just 
points out interesting plants and animals and recounts all her memories in this very sort of German, matter-of-fact, logical way. And you can see how smart she is, but she's really humble. At no point does she give any indication that she thinks what she did was remarkable. She's just matter-of-fact explaining why she made the choices she made. And not even traumatized about revisiting that. No, I was so amazed she was willing to do it. But she said she found the experience of making the documentary really therapeutic. I would think so, Because she'd never been given any sort of proper professional counselling. So this movie ended up being a lot more therapeutic than triggering Mm. for her. Um, Highly recommend you give it a watch. You even get to see her reunited with one of the possible drug smuggler men who found her in the hut after many, many years. Um, Her father, Hans, died in 2000, and ever since then, Juliana's been the director of the research station that her family established. Um, She's managed to expand its footprint to be 10 times the size it originally was, and it's an official conservation site. And to this day, they're still constantly discovering new species of insect and plant and mammal and reptile And she's keeping the vow she'd made to herself after she survived the crash, which was that if she survived, she was going to do something meaningful to serve humanity and serve nature. And she has. And that, dear Sean, dear Gistners, is just the gist of one of the most incredible survival stories of the last century. It's the best one I've heard for sure. Happy I feel days. like every single detail is interesting. Yeah. Every single detail is, is fantasyful. Like it doesn't seem real. Mm-hmm. I just think the fact that any human exists who has that much knowledge that could potentially help them. Mm-hmm. The knowledge to chill out for one day, the knowledge in the river, the knowledge of how to move your feet, mm-hmm. like all of that. Yep. And not having every single step of the journey, you living in fear. I mean, maybe she was, but also that drive to get you there. That's insane. Yeah. Insanity. It mm-hmm. is. Yeah. She's this pretty special character. Insane. She's and alive? Yes, still? yes. Yeah, Amazing. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was really hoping that she may have made her way back to uh, Peru mm. for the 50th anniversary because throughout COVID, she's been stuck in Germany. Um, and as far as I could tell, mm. up until the middle of 2021, she still hadn't been able to get back to Panguana and she really wanted to, but she was finding international travel difficult. Um, but yeah, she's written a book that came out in 2011 for the 40th anniversary of the crash. Um, It's called When I Fell From the Sky. It's really, really good. So if you're keen to know more and to hear it all in her own words, definitely recommend that. Um, You've absolutely got to watch Werner Herzog's documentary, Wings of Hope. I'll put the link to that in the episode notes. Um, If you want a bit of a giggle as well, you can also watch... Miracles Still Happen on YouTube, that terrible movie. Not that if made- she's not happy with it. <laughs> she's my idol. I'm getting a tattoo of her on my arm, so if she didn't like it, I'm not watching it. <laughs> Just for... The comedy. Yeah, because yeah. uh, it, it's absolutely outrageous, and you can see why she was so offended that that's the way they chose. Maybe go in order, her. listen to this first, then watch the doco, then read the book, and then you're allowed access yes, to the comedy. Yes, there we go. Then you have those <laughs> privileges. Yeah, so that's the story, my friend. Amazing. I'm going to be using this for the next 10 weeks at dinner parties. It's good enough for fucking sure. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on board. Thanks for having me. Um, Really thrilled. Everyone go and check out Come Out wherever you are, for sure. Um, 
not just listening to my episode, obviously. Go there first. My favourite one that I would recommend is the interview that Sean did with his husband, Josh. Um, That's a really, really fascinating conversation about how their perspectives on self-identification and sexuality vary. Um, One of the recent ones I listened to as well with Louis Hansen, Mm. I really enjoyed. What's another one that you'd recommend as a gateway drug? I always say the David J episode. So David J is the most prominent globally um, asexual activist. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, prior to that conversation, I knew probably as much as everyone listening, which is not a lot. Like mm-hmm. it's the butt of a joke or if someone doesn't want to have sex, you just call them asexual. Not only was he incredibly informative, educational, uh, calm, empathetic, really broke it down in a way that was quite simple. Uh he has a really big conversation about romantic relationships and the importance of communication mm-hmm. and when sex is taken out of your interests at all, mm-hmm. how you really get to focus on the romance and the power that that has gifted him in establishing relationships with others. But it felt like therapy to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're very caught up in society with sex. So this one, I just kept thinking, I'm learning so much about my romantic relationship that also is sexual from this person who's not at all interested in it. Also, he currently is in a a relationship. He raises his child with another couple. Uh So it's like a little thruple situation. And I just learned so much about parenting. So I feel like it's a really good gateway drug because it's something most of us don't know about probably Mm. that we have a lot to learn about. But even though you might not be asexual, it will be relevant to your life and you will walk away thinking about your relationships with loved ones differently. Mm -hmm. Excellent. (laughs) Everyone go and get on that. Um, and then where would you like people to follow you? Instagram? Yeah, go right yeah. to Instagram. That's mm-hmm. where all the magic is happening. It's just my first name, S-E-A-N, and my last name, S-Z-E-P-S. Terrific. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Thanks for having me. This we is really fun. We might have you back another time. Please, we'll see. Please, I'm ready. Yay. Listener.